The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Could you take your uh, Bibles, turn in them uh, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses uh, 7 and into chapter 4. We'll reference also uh, Psalm 95 in our time together. In fact, in Hebrews, the writer will reference that psalm. Also, we will speak about Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus comes and says, uh, there's an invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, do you know what he says? I'll give you, give you rest. Uh, you can interpret that as uh, Sabbath. I'll give you Sabbath, because we're going to find out that Jesus is the Sabbath. All the Sabbaths that were ever celebrated in the past pointed to him, who is our Sabbath rest. And so um, this morning we're going to talk about uh, how Sabbath, Sabbathing, not just in a physicality type of way of ceasing from labor, you know, taking a day off, but in a spiritual sense also Sabbathing. Um, But this physical uh, rest that we take uh, creates time and space for you to gather here or for you throughout the week to set aside some time to rest, to cease from activity, and to give yourself to the Word of God, to give yourself to worship. And in that physical resting, setting aside you know, that time and space for the triune God then to do His work. And then what you will find is that in that time and space, through worship and through the Word of God, uh, the triune God doing then His work, and He'll give you something beautiful. He'll give you rest. He'll give you Sabbath. And so uh, the idea of resting is just not about, let's take a day off and I fulfilled the Sabbath day. No, we rest, we cease from labor, so that we give ourselves then to the working of God, finding that in the working of God, he gives to us the gift of of rest or Sabbath in the Lord Jesus. And so Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 speaks of this Sabbath rest. And it begins in um, chapter 3, verse 7, with the writer to the Hebrews uh, referencing, quoting Psalm 95, which we'll uh, speak about shortly. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, They have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come come to share in Christ if we hold firmly Till the end, the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, 
Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David as was said before, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In the scriptures, um, there's a commandment given to it's the third commandment. We know it as remember the Sabbath day uh, to keep it holy or thou shalt sanctify that day. Make it, make it holy. And Luther explains it this way. He explains it as a command and as a promise. Uh, he says we should fear and love God that we may not despise preaching and his word but rather do what? To hold it sacred and to gladly hear and learn it. And so there is this uh, command. Do not despise the thing that makes the day holy. Don't despise the word of God. Just resting does not make the day holy, but resting and giving yourselves to the working of God, the living and active word of God, that is what makes the day holy. That's what set, sets it apart. It says, you know, fear and love God that you may not despise preaching on his word, but rather do this. Hold it sacred. Come cheerfully, gladly hear and learn it because God desires to give to you gifts. God desires to give to you rest. Psalm 95 and Matthew 11 has uh, this invitation. And you can read it um, in two ways. You can read it as a command and you can read it as a promise. It begins this way in Psalm 95. And this is the psalm that Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, the writer quotes. It begins this way though. What's the word? Come. You can take that as a command or you can take that as an invitation. Take it as both. Come. Do what? Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Come. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And so you see at the end of this then, there is this command. Today, if you hear his voice, don't what? 
don't harden your hearts. And so there's that command to it. Come, come to the place where you will hear God speak to you. And then the invitation part of it. Come. Don't come here and you get a check mark, you know, and you're good for the week. No, you come because there's something, someone waiting for you. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, the one who made you. We're his sheep, the flock of his pasture. He's the shepherd. We hear his voice, live under his care. So there's that invitation and that, that command. In Matthew 11, you hear the same words, Jesus speaking. Maybe they're familiar to you. He says, and, and by the way, whenever you hear the words of Jesus in the Gospels, they are to be read in the present tense. Not read, oh, back then, there, this is just what Jesus said. If we truly believe that Jesus is present with us, which he said he is, did he not say, I will be with you always to the very end of the age? And did he not say, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them? So whenever we hear his words, he is present speaking to us, maybe not visibly, but invisibly present speaking words. So when he says these words, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, that's not a past tense word. It is a right now word. Come. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And what is the promise? I will give you rest. I'll give you Sabbath. Now this is an interesting thought because Jesus Throughout the Gospels, you'll see him breaking Sabbath all the time. Breaking literally the day. And the religious leaders get upset with him, and they speak to the disciples and say, why does your master break the Sabbath? What does Jesus say? I am the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. It's not about a day and a time and a place. It is about all those Sabbaths pointing to the real Sabbath, which is me, the real rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. And what will you find when you come to me, you will find rest. You'll find rest for your souls. So the invitation and the command. The command is, have no other gods. The command is, take the name of the Lord your God rightly upon your lips. Call upon him. Go to the place of worship. Remember the Sabbath day. All commands to us. Not so you check it off your list, but a command with a promise that when you do that, there's something beautiful waiting for God to give to you. Okay, so it's about R&R. Now, this is far different than our culture. Our culture's view of R&R is what? Rest and recreation or rest and relaxation, isn't it? I mean, so from a cultural perspective, thinking about the Sabbath, is, oh, you know what? I got that day off. You know, some of you maybe labor five days a week. Some of you maybe labor six days. Some of you maybe seven days. You don't have any time off. Um, let me ask you this. Are you so refreshed after one day off that you are just ready to go back at it Monday morning? If so, if so, perhaps, you know, we need to recast this whole idea to say, you know what? It's not about physicality. It is good and gracious that God gives us opportunity to step back, to rest, to have re recreation, to have a vacation, right? The summer, whatever it might be. But you know, as well as I do, come Monday, come Tuesday, come Wednesday, you start looking for Saturday and Sunday. And then you dread going back on Monday. So could it be that the Sabbath is more than just a fleeting day off? Not about rest and recreation. It's about honoring that day so that there's something that happens deep within you. Now, why a Sabbath? Why is God so protective of taking that time and setting it aside and creating time and space 
for him and his word. Well, it's because of this. Because the devil knows no Sabbath, does he? You know the evil one? Does he ever take a day off? Have you found it, that to be true? That there's certain periods of life where you're, you're just kind of free and clear? The devil has no way with you? Absolutely not. The devil knows no Sabbath. He is always at work. Scripture de describes him as a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. We Sabbath because the devil takes no Sabbath. We rest from our work because the devil never rests from his work. And so we need to understand that when the devil comes against us, it's not necessarily about, you know what, let's cease from activity because that's the evil thing. No, the activity is not the problem. It's rather the devil's tool being distraction. Distraction. If you cease from activity, say on a Sunday, and you just stay at home, the devil can have his way with you, can he not? He wants to distract you, even in that activity, from the, the real working of God. Now, you see this in the Gospels in Luke chapter 10. There's two sisters, Mary and Martha. And it's an interesting you know, case uh, to look at in terms of two sisters and their personality and the dynamics. And um, Martha uh, is the one who asked Jesus to come into their house. And she then, in a typical Mideastern way, does what? Prepares the house, gets the meal ready... And where does she see her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus? And she's worried and upset about this. And she is distracted by this. And she even goes to Jesus and says, don't you see what's happening? Tell my sister to help me. She's left me to do all this by myself. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, he says, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and that will, be taken, and will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus does not go after the activity. He doesn't go after Martha working in the kitchen. The story is not about, you know what, if you want to be really spiritual, you don't do any work. No, that's not the story. The story is about where is your attention focused, even in the activity. If in the activity your focus is distracted from the person of Christ, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, if your attention is distracted in your contemplative moments at the feet of Jesus, that's the devil's work also. So let me ask you this. How many of you have prayed the Lord's Prayer perfectly, rapt attention, never letting your mind stray? I mean, Martin Luther used to say that the Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr in the world. You know, you say, our Father who art in heaven, how? before you know it, your mind is where? It's all over the place. And so the devil's tool is not the activity, it is the distraction. So how can we fix our eyes on Jesus in the quiet, contemplative moments? How can we fix our eyes on Jesus even in the activity, caring for children, for households, at work, at labor, in social circles? It is the distraction that the devil is about. Now, we Sabbath. But how do we Sabbath? Different than the world, the world says rest and recreation. For the church... For the people of God, we Sabbath in the work of Christ. So we rest, cease from our labor, so that the labor of Christ is placed upon us. We Sabbath in the work of Christ. And so the Sabbath in Jesus, this R and R in Jesus, takes on a whole different dimension than rest and recreation or relaxation. And so here's three of them. The Sabbath in Jesus is about, first of all, 
rest and uh, reception. It is about rest and repentance. And it is about rest and let's recast the word uh, recreation and let's call it re-creation. A re-creation because doesn't the scripture say if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So it's about rest and recreation and resurrection. Only things that God can do. So the first one being to rest and to receive. To rest and to receive. This is what Hebrews chapter 4 is speaking about. Verses uh, 8 and following says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest. And what does the phrase say? Also rest from what? Also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. There is this resting, this ceasing from our labor and then being a passive recipient of God's work. And so we have to make you know, a clear distinction about the spiritual life. Is the spiritual life for the Christian one of activity or is it one of passivity? Properly speaking, it's one of understanding who is the one who is acting, who is doing the work, who is the one who is giving. In worship, ask those questions. There is a place for you to respond and for me to respond, but primarily when you come here, who are you looking uh, to do the work? Is it the work of the people or is it the work of God? God's work. He's working. He's acting. He's doing. He's giving something to you. In word and in sacrament, in the forgiveness of sins, it is his activity to you. We then sit in a passive posture, receiving then. We are the object of God's work. God showers upon us. And in receiving that, then there is this sacrifice that we do give, which is a sacrifice of praise. So there is this responding to it, right? But primarily, you come here because you say, you know what? God's going to be doing some work today. He has some gifts to give to me, and I'm going to receive them by faith. And when appropriate, when I receive those gifts, I will respond. I will act accordingly. I will give praise, thanksgiving. I will make confession of my faith. So it's not about offering, is it? It's not about offering anything. It's about receiving everything. So we offer nothing when we come. We receive everything from the triune God. What does the triune God give? Well, three persons, one God. Showers upon us all types of blessings for body and soul. Body, the Father who created all things. We declared that in the creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. The eyes of all, the psalm says, look to you. You open your hand and you give them the desires of their heart. God's hand is wide open. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the universe. All things that you need, your daily bread, you as dear children come before him. Jesus says to the Father, you ask him, he'll give it to you. You seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you as you know, fathers give to your kids all kinds of wonderful gifts, Jesus says, they're evil. And yet they still give those gifts to you. They don't give you a stone when you ask for bread. How much more will your Father in heaven give to you all of his Gifts. And so you, we come here and you pray and you ask. I have these bodily needs. I have these physical needs. I have needs for healing. I have needs for provision and protection. Father, I am bringing these before you. 
You do that because you have the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, your brother, interceding for you, standing in your place before the Father, ushering you into the Father's presence, clothing you with his works of righteousness. And so you have boldness and confidence to go right through that curtain of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, directly to the Father because of the works of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you those works of Christ, creates faith in you, drives you to repentance to see your need, places that work of Christ in your heart through faith, and then gives you beautiful gifts that you can't give to one another. Again, it's a passivity issue. Have you ever been in a situation where there was chaos swirling around you, and all of a sudden, a gift was given to you? Not from your friends, not from your family, from God himself. Paul describes it as a peace that surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or you are in despair and darkness and there is no way out and somehow, in a sacred way, planted in you is hope. Or joy, not happiness. Happiness is based on what happens right around you. It's a worldly word. Joy is a spiritual gift. Joy that God gives to you. Promise of the presence of Christ. Faith, boldness, confidence to come before God. Those are the gifts that you receive. So it's rest and reception. Second of all, rest and repentance. And this is very difficult for us uh, because it's a very humbling place. Uh, It deals with our own pride and our arrogance and our view of ourselves. It goes deep, you know, within us. And, um, And yet I'm going to suggest to you that those of you who know what true repentance is like, a true humbling, there is a rest there, a rest that the world cannot give. Isaiah 30, uh, 15 says it this way. In fact, let's read it together. It says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Isn't that a sad phrase at the end? The sad phrase is not that God wants to hold, withhold this rest from you, this quietness and and trust, this salvation and strength from you. He doesn't want to withhold it from you. What's the sad part? You would have none of it. Because of pride or arrogance or a hardening of your hearts. In fact, this is what the psalmist talks about. Today, if you hear his voice, don't do what? Don't harden your hearts. Don't do it. I mean, that's as kind of clear as we can say it, right? Don't Do it. Don't harden your hearts. Because there's a world of hurt beyond that. If you harden your heart, you refuse the working of the Holy Spirit, the living and active word of God, which judges, right, deep joints and marrow. All things are open to his gaze. He knows every part of you. We did that in the confession, did we not? Lord, I've sinned against you, against heaven. I've sinned against my neighbor, what I've done, what I've left undone. Don't harden your hearts. Why? It's not a command. There's an invitation at the other end of it, which is in the softening of the heart by the Holy Spirit's working, you will find rest and quietness and trust as your salvation. And so the the letter to the Hebrews, he quotes uh, this psalm, Psalm 95. He says, uh, don't harden your hearts. I was angry with that generation. Their hearts are gone astray. They have not known my ways. I declared on oath they shall never enter my rest. And then verse 12 of chapter 3 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Don't do it. When the word of God comes to you in that law, as much as you want to run away from it, don't do it. Don't harden your don't you harden your hearts to it. Why? Not so that you're going to feel like shame and guilt for the rest of your life and you have to bear that. No, he wants to remove the shame and the guilt. The shame and the guilt get you to who? The person of, of Christ. Yes, it's shameful. And yes, we're filled with guilt when it is revealed. But that's not the end. It leads us to rest. It leads us to Christ. This is what you see in Romans chapter 8. Um, it's the promise that when Christ works, when Christ is for us, the conscience is cleared. And though it might not be well with your world, if you have Christ crucified for you, risen for you, it can be well with your soul. I know that's hard because you want it well with your world, right? But it's not well with your world, and it won't be well with your world until Christ himself reappears. He shows himself visibly to us. But it can be well with your soul. So Romans 8, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And so in your groaning and your sighing that your world's not well, who is praying for you? Holy Spirit. And he prays a whole lot better than you do and a whole lot better than your family does for you and your friends do and your church does. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you according to the Father's will. So much so that then the promise is given in verse 28. And we know then that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. It might not be well with your world, but what can it be well with? Your soul. What is that rooted in? Verse 31. Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who is he that condemns, it says? Who is he that condemns? Who is he that justifies? It says, what is the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is for us, the Father does not condemn us. Takes shame, takes guilt away. And then you see the beautiful words of how this ends in Romans 8. It might not be well with your world, but it is well with your soul. And that's why Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor, you can paraphrase it, though your world is falling apart, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. But that rest comes through repentance. The final one is rest. Um, again, the word recast, not recreation, but a recreation and resurrection. So recreation and resurrection. There's two images here which is the call to the Sabbath day. The first one is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that's connected with Genesis. So when all of a sudden God gives his written law, his words to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, he says, six days God labored and the seventh day he did what? He rested. And so honor, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so there is this image immediately connected to it of this idea of God working. 
God creating. And again, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And so God does not just desire to create, but he desires to recreate. But the early church also began to set apart another day. And it says that they met on the first day of the week. And so if the Sabbath starts on Friday evening and goes you know, through Sabbath on Saturday, that's you know, the seventh day. The first day of the week is what? Saturday evening to Sunday. What happened on the first day of the week? Well, Luke, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women went to the tomb, and the angel said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And so this early church started to meet on the first day of the week, as well as on the Sabbath day, to celebrate God's working in creation and recreation, but also to celebrate, you know what? We're coming here every first day of the week to remind ourselves that he is not dead. He has risen from the dead. And so every time you come on a Sunday morning, it is a little Easter. It is a celebration reminder of the resurrection that is promised to us because of Christ. And so recreation is about the here and now. Life here and now. Would you agree with me that there's a lot of life yet to be lived here and now? Right? I mean, some of you have lived more life than others, but we don't have to despise the here and now. We are asked, we have to ask God that he would recreate our here and now, as marred as it is by sin, to do his recreating work among us. This is what Ephesians 2 says. Note here this, this image again of resting from works and relying on God's creative work among us. So it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of what? Works that no one can boast. Passivity, receiving this gift of faith, not of works, only by grace, God's activity, no one can boast. Now the little verse at the end is sometimes just kind of neglected, but it is beautiful. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a whole lot of work yet to be done among us here and now, right? A whole lot of recreating. But there's also the idea that this is not the end. This is not the end. There is a then and a there. There is a resurrection. There is a promise that this is all moving towards something, something beautiful, eternal, a place where there is no more. No more sin, and because there's no more sin, there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. Some of you have ushered, you have seen loved ones enter into that rest, have you not? The tombstone says R-I-P, it's Latin, it simply is translated rest in peace. Rest in peace. Only the Christian can rest in peace. Passing from this world full of a veil, it's a veil of tears full of turmoil and pain and heartache, and we enter into eternal rest with the promise of the resurrection. Now, someone just didn't make up, you know, R.I.P. This is uh, taken from the scriptures itself. Isaiah chapter 57 says, The righteous perish, no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be what? Spared. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The righteous are taken away to be spared from spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. 
and they find rest as they lie, and they find rest as they lie in death. Revelation says it this way, then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. All those deeds that we were created to do before the foundation of the world, when we die in Christ, they follow us into, follow us into eternity. So there's a whole lot of life to be lived here and now. God has a purpose. He's recreated you to carry out that kingdom purpose. This also leading to a then and a there, not just life, but life, life eternal. And so there's an invitation and there's a command. The command is, come, set apart, make time and space Sabbath. What's the promise? Because when those things occur, when we cease from that activity, God takes up his activity through word and sacrament and gives to us rest. So I did say in Matthew chapter 11 that when we take these words, these gospel words, and we speak them to one another, they are not to be seen as, well, God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, incarnate Son of God, said that long time ago, and that was for a certain group of people, but no, that incarnate Son of God, Jesus, still walks among us, still speaks to us, still uh, has this invitation. And so I want you to say these words and to hear them as literally Christ himself inviting and saying them to you right now. So what is he saying to you in this moment from Matthew chapter 11? What does the phrase say? Come. You say it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, right? Are you, are you weary and burdened this morning? If you live in this world, I'm going to suggest that you are. You're weary and burdened. Maybe you are weary because uh, the world has done it to you. Maybe you're weary and burdened because you've done it to yourself in your own sinful flesh. Maybe you are weary and burdened because the devil himself is attacking you. But if you have this flesh on your bones, you are weary and you are burdened. And what does Jesus say? Come. As surely as I say it to you right now, come is Jesus saying to you, come to me all you are weary and burdened. And what does he promise to give you? I will give you rest. I say it to you, you say it to me. I will give you rest. What's he like? He says, well, I am gentle and humble in heart. And so when you come to him weary and burdened, and you have this shame and this guilt, he says, take note of my character. I am gentle and humble in heart. I am the good shepherd. I will enfold you. I will feed you. I will protect you. And what will happen? I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls. Do you need rest for your souls? Do you need rest for your souls? I would pray that you would come with the understanding that that is the deepest need of your life. And I would suggest if you don't feel that you have rest for your souls, the devil has a hold of you in such a way that he has hardened your heart. And so I'm going to tell you again, today if you hear his voice, do what? Don't harden your hearts. He's saying to you all these things. Come to me. You're weary, burdened. I'll give you rest. Take heart. I'm gentle and humble. And I have something for you. You'll find rest for your soul. You'll find it when you enter into the scriptures and you read it. 
You will find it when you have conversations with one another. You will find it when you remember your baptism. You will find it when you confess your sins and receive forgiveness. And you will find it in the sacrament of the altar. So I ask you to prepare your hearts and to hear those words of Jesus. Come, come forward. He is here and he wants to give you himself. Come passive. He's active. And then respond to it with a new life. He says, this is my body, this is my blood, shed for you, broken for you, for the forgiveness of sins. You take some quiet moments. You prepare your hearts to, to come. I will then uh, prepare the Lord's Supper. We'll have the words of institution, and I'll invite you to come forward. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And now, may the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.